Welcome back to the Mind Bod Adventure Pod, Consciousness Explorers Podcast. I'm Tasha Schumann. This is my co-host. I'm Jeff. Hello. Howdy. So this is the pod that's all about, you know, mind-body adventures. We try out different practices from different teachers from around the world, all sorts of things from meditation, dream work, uh, therapy, movement, voice work, whatever. And then we kind of sit around and talk about how that was. How did it land? And what can we learn from the practice? So that's the pod. And then today, Jeff, you want to tell us about today, what we yeah. got on deck? So today our guest is Lama Rod Owens, who's a superb Buddhist teacher. He's a meditation teacher. I spent a few summers teaching with him when I was doing some stuff for the Inward Bound Teen Mindfulness Retreats. And he was just this superpower on these retreats, he's so real and has so much energy for this teaching. And he's so just fearlessly going at whatever is really happening in the culture today. And he speaks about his own experience as being, you know, a black gay man growing up in the South. Like he is just not your conventional, typical teacher. And he speaks to that. And his book, Love and Rage, is superb. It's all about how to work with the anger of activism, but also the everyday anger and the way a lot of us are overwhelmed by it and don't know how to basically hold it. And for Lamarad, it's about, well, it begins with care. And he guides us into a practice that starts with that framework and then from there going into the actual emotions. And I found it really moving. And the conversation after was very uh, just deep. Yeah, we went a lot of places in this episode. I think there's something for everybody, for people who are activists and for people who, you know, maybe you're sitting at home and you feel a lot of loneliness or sadness or frustration. This practice really is for getting in touch with those pieces of ourselves and kind of having the courage to look at them. So it's very powerful for me as well. So without further ado, Lama Rod, welcome to the Consciousness Explorers podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. So you're going to take us into a particular practice, and I guess this is an opportunity to say for you to say a little bit about what you were thinking you wanted to guide us in and why now and anything you want to say about that. You know, for me, what comes up in this particular time in history is the need to really meet our emotions and our mental states as they arise in the moment, because everything can feel so acute. There's so much triggering us, activating us, you know, from political instability, financial instability, pandemic, disease, death, and dying, just to name a few, both in our individual <laughs> lives and in our collective living. And I think both the individual experience and the collective experience can be quite overwhelming for us. Mm -hmm. For me, the foundation of my practice is practicing in such a way that I'm able to continuously connect to an experience of being loved and cared for. You know, in meditation communities, we may call it meta practice or loving kindness practice. But basically, the heart of these practices is connecting to the love and the care that's always present around us, even in ways that we're actually maybe initially very unconscious of. Mm -hmm. When I feel that care, that love, I can feel more supported in leaning into and acknowledging what I'm feeling in the moment. You know, what I'm feeling when I wake up and turn on the news or hop on social media and 
and read about something that's happened, reading about the passing of another public figure that I loved, or maybe, you know, another thing that's happening in my government that feels really antagonistic to the wellness and care of, of people, you know, in my country. So when I feel that, I actually just turn my attention directly back to this sense of care. When I feel that care, then I go back and I just ask myself, how am I feeling? What's going on? You know, where's my anger? And you're able to feel that care even when there's anger there, even when there's despair there, even when there's those challenging feelings? Absolutely. Yeah, because it's, of course, it's taken years of practice to do that, but it's actually quite possible. And to know that, like, anger is a secondary emotion, it's a secondary experience. And so when I'm angry, or when I'm experiencing anger, then I know that there's something deeper. And that deeper experience is usually heartbrokenness, mm. pain, hopelessness, despair, you know, an experience of hurt, an experience of being offended or being scared. But with that sense, that experience of care, I can go deeper into that, right? And just experience it. Do you think that feeling of whatever's underneath, you know, despair, do you think that's more difficult for us to experience than anger? You know, do you think it's like we, we kind of subconsciously choose anger because it might be easier? Well, I don't think most of us are actually experiencing anger. I think we're actually reacting to it. Oh, I you see. Know, I think the energy of anger and the energy of brokenheartedness is really a similar energy. But the energy of anger feels more invigorating. It's an energizing experience where the brokenheartedness feels like a depleting experience. Mm -hmm. But they're both very strong energies. And I think people have very similar concerns about experiencing both because I think it's quite natural to feel that, you know, we could get overwhelmed or consumed by both energies because of their strength and their intensity and where they're pulling us and pushing us. But to experience means that I offer whatever this energy is, lots of space to be in my experience. And I disrupt reactivity. You know, of course, when that, that reactivity is disrupted, we're entering into a deep feeling of this energy. A feeling of the energy means that we're getting curious about how this energy feels in our minds as well as in our bodies. But of course, you can go a little further and say that, well, what does this energy feel like in the collective experience, which uh -huh. is a whole nother thing, a whole <laughs> other or potentially overwhelming experience. Yeah, I find that very overwhelming <laughs> 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 to enter into that just like liminal zone of the pain that we share yeah. as a as a people. Yeah, it's really difficult. It's It's deep, it's pervasive. And I would say that. I think at this point in my practice, I'm not as afraid of that collective experience as I used to be, mm -hmm. you know, because I don't necessarily feel as if I have to take it on as mine. Um, I do feel as if I'm called to witness and to name that this is happening yes. because it's, it's part of the practice of empathy. I have to like name what's happening. And I have to say, you know what, the experience that all these people around me are having is very similar to my experience. And I want all of us to be free from it. But that doesn't mean I take on the collective experience as if I can just take away people's pain. I think we just kind of get confused about that. And I think this is why we avoid 
actually tuning in to collective experience. You know, when I'm out in the world in public, I can feel this collective experience with people, but I don't say it's mine. I say, yeah, this is something that we're all sharing, but like this whole massive experience that I'm looking at and tuning into isn't something that I'm being called to take on and say, you know, I'm going to feel all the pain in the world and all the pain of all the people in this space right now. It's just like, that's not what it is. I feel my pain in order to have an understanding and experience of what other people may be experiencing. Mm -hmm. So what does this look like in personal private practice or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how have you gotten there? Well, first and foremost, it's really been about allowing my heart to break. Hmm. And that's, that's the frontier many folks are really avoiding. Is the is to just let the heart break wide open. Because again, there's a fear that we'll be consumed, we'll be overwhelmed by the experience. Mm-hmm. You know, but again, if we're connecting to sources of care, right, then like that care actually begins to help hold this experience of brokenheartedness. Mm-hmm. Anything that you want to let people know before we do the practice? Well, I think first and foremost, we have to take care of ourselves. I think some of us have this mentality that we're just going to just like go into it, we're going to do it, and we're going to get it done. And that's not how this works. Actually, the key practice is gentleness. Hmm. You know, gentleness helps support expansion, fluidity, openness. And that's the key here. As I move closer to these really intense emotional experiences, I actually have to expand Right. And what's actually expanding is my attention moving from this one pointed concentration or mindfulness kind of attention to a more expansive awareness that holds everything. And actually, you know, in my practice, it feels like an ocean. So I have a practice Mm -hmm. called Ocean Like Mind. I imagine mixing my awareness, quality of my mind with an ocean like the the expansiveness, the boundlessness of an ocean, the depth of an ocean, that's our minds. And an ocean holds life. It holds all kinds of stuff. Living and dying, sorrow and happiness. Exactly, exactly. You know, and the ocean isn't necessarily responding to that material, it's just holding it. And that's the way our minds are. We're just holding everything. We don't have to respond to everything. You know, and that's like mm. kind of how I approach my practice. You know, that's really just a basic fundamental thing that I do. And then in that space, I'm just like, okay, you know, there's the joy, and then there's the sorrow, there's the heartbrokenness, there's the anger. You know, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and then you have a really authentic meditation practice. Mm. <laughs> Okay. Let's take it for a spin. Let's do it. Let's go into it's the a ocean. Tall order. It's a tall order. It's a tall order. <laughs> Show us how in 12 to 15 minutes. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll begin. You know, in the first part of the practice, is just giving your body permission to be in a position that feels appropriate for you. And whatever position that we find ourselves in, we're not trying to erase discomforts. And for many of us, we won't ever be able 
to really get rid of discomfort, but we're actually trying to hold our bodies, to position our bodies in a way that we can manage both comfort and discomfort. Having a balance, so I'm able to just notice where the discomfort is. I'm able to notice where the comfort is. And then just holding both of those. And again, holding means I'm noticing, but I'm not reacting. And when I'm not reacting, I'm experiencing. So as you're experiencing comfort and discomfort, we just want to be very careful not to get distracted by either one of those experiences. You know, and just spending just a few more seconds here, just to get really settled. And when you're ready, I invite you to shift your attention to the weight of your body. Just noticing the weight of your body making contact with the seat. Or maybe shifting your attention to notice your feet making contact with the floor. And both the floor and the seat are expressions of the earth. And the earth for me is just foundation, right? It's this, this experience of being held. So allowing the seat, allowing the floor under you to simply hold you, trusting that they can hold you. Just a few more moments here. And when you're ready, I invite you to, to shift your attention into reflecting. And I invite you to reflect on all of the beings, people, animals, even plants, even unseen beings like spirits, ancestors, deities, and so forth. All beings who care for you who want you to be well and happy and safe. And it doesn't have to be a lot of beings. Maybe it's one being. Maybe it's several. Maybe it's hundreds. It doesn't matter. But just inviting any being who loves you, who cares for you, into the space around you. And I want you to imagine that you're just being surrounded by these beings who love you. As if they're forming a circle around you, a protective circle of care. And imagine that these beings begin to radiate the energy of care into the space around you. And this energy can feel like Anything that, that's appropriate for you, it can feel like warmth. It can, you can imagine that it's like light, a soft white light that begins to emerge around you. It 
but somehow just imagining, connecting to this energy of care, radiating from what I call now your benefactors, these beings who love you are your benefactors because they're beginning to share with you this transformative, nurturing energy of deep care. And slowly we begin to imagine that this energy of care begins to be absorbed into our bodies. As if our bodies are thirsty and it begins to drink deeply from this energy of care that's circulating all around us. And the body is drinking through the skin into our muscles and bones and tendons and organs and other tissues into our lungs, into our hearts, into our brains, down to the bottom of our feet, up to the very top of our heads. That every inch of our bodies, even the cells, are deeply saturated with this profound energy of care. And just sitting just for a few moments, experiencing what being deeply cared for feels like. Just a few more moments. And so we can begin to feel as if we're just deeply saturated with care. As if we're kind of floating on this energy of care. As if this energy of care is like a vast ocean. And we're just floating on this vast ocean, completely supported by this care. And in this space, I invite you to actually turn your attention to perhaps whatever experience of anger that you're connecting to right now. Where's your anger? Maybe you're feeling anger as frustration. So however you're connecting to anger, just, just turning your attention to it. And we're not interested in why we're angry. You know, what the roots of that anger is. We're just turning our attention to noticing the basic experience of anger. First in our minds. And then maybe noticing the physical expressions of anger in our body. The sensations of anger. 
And as you're connecting to these experiences, I wonder if you can also at the same time continue to connect to the experience of being saturated by the experience of care. I wonder if you can actually allow this experience of anger to be held and cared for by this experience of care that you're receiving. Or what would it be like to just allow this inner, this experience of anger to float like you're doing on this ocean of care? And just practicing this for a few moments. And when you're ready, we're just going to go just a little deeper. And I invite you to maybe explore what's beneath your anger. Because often, anger is pointing us to a deeper experience. And this deeper experience is often an experience of sadness, of what I call brokenheartedness, which can be hopelessness or despair or a kind of depression, but a basic experience of sadness, that there is sadness or grief that the anger is pointing us to. I wonder if you can identify or notice this experience of sadness beneath the anger. And I wonder if you can allow this energy, this experience of care, to also care for and hold the sadness. Just spending a few more moments here. Just one more moment.
And so as we begin to transition out of our practice, we want to maybe briefly make an aspiration that all beings, particularly all the beings that we encounter every day in our lives and in person are online, making an aspiration that they experience this this experience of being cared for deeply and being supported by deep experiences of care and love and compassion, that they have the resources like we do now because of this practice to be held as they're attempting to connect to their anger and frustration and the sadness beneath the anger. That may all beings may be free from feeling overwhelmed and numb by everything that's going on in their individual lives and in our collective experience as well. So when you're ready, I invite you to shift your attention back to the weight of your body, the sensation of your body making contact with the seat, also with your feet meeting the floor, grounding for a moment, turning your attention back to your benefactors around you, thanking them for their care, and imagining that they just dissolve into white light and how that white light is absorbed into your heart center. When you're ready, allow yourself to come back into the space, wherever you're at, If your eyes were closed, opening your eyes, maybe allowing your body to awaken and doing that through just stretching and moving and, you know, whatever feels appropriate for you. All right. Thank you so much for your practice. Ding. Yes. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> Ding. All right, you're enlightened now. Yay! Uh, I think we did. You have to be enlightened to get through that entire super rich practice <laughs> with total presence. Like, wow, that was a that was a big menu. Hmm. I had a lot of feelings. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tasha, do you want to start or me to try to? If you have words for yours already, feel free. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. There's a lot going on there for me personally. So I love the grounding. So important. The 
connecting to that as a resource, which I, I really appreciated. And then, you know, calling on the care is hard. You know, it's mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it's hard, but there was a kind of breakthrough, I guess, that I think is worth sharing. But it, the one question I definitely had is for people who feel kind of like they're just faking it or you're, you know, you're using your imagination, you're trying to think of things. I could feel my imagination was bringing people in and I could feel some warmth and there was some, I felt connected to certain energies, I guess. But I also recognize that this is a hard thing to do. Regardless, I I, I did have an insight around that. And so then I, I went into the anger like you invited and it was really there. I mean, there's a lot of it, feeling it in my teeth and my it's just something I'm working in my life right now. There's a lot coming through at this point mm-hmm. in my practice. And it, and so the invitation to find the, the pain underneath it is huge because it is about a kind of brokenheartedness, a, a real grief. The image for me is just being totally alone and abandoned when I was a kid and all the stuff that's come out of that. And then here's where the big thing happened. When you invited to have the caring be there at the same time, at first there was this sort of forcing. I couldn't find my way into that. And then I realized I was trying to force the care. It was almost like I was trying to push it out of my own stomach or my heart or something. And as soon as I let backed up on that, there was this even more of the sense of brokenheartedness. And it was the not doing that was the care that ended up really flooding in and holding that little tiny image of the kid. And and at the point where I was like emotional, I, I felt tears in my eyes and I was just, oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't even believe I'm going here. And then, you know, everything kind of pretty much unfolded after that, according to your invitation. So that was my very raw, real experience. And thank you for that. And I and I do mm-hmm. want to hear, you know, how you help other people find that care, any insights around that. But maybe we'll let Tasha share her experience first. Yeah. Um, the circle of care is something, you know, I'm from the same tradition as you, Lamarad. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I am familiar with. And something that I love that you did was that you didn't name what the beings really in that circle of care should be. Because sometimes people say, you know, there's your mom and your dad and there's your sisters and brothers and everyone who like obviously loves you. And that's when I feel like, Jeff, I feel really triggered by that. Because then even if I'm in my mind, I'm like, well, I'll just select different people. That conversation still keeps going of like, well, why didn't you pick your mom? This is why, you know, like things like that. Mm -hmm. So just that open invitation to fill it with care wherever it comes from i even i think you even said that you know whatever that is that made it easy it was just this field of like nameless care or like faceless care but very very real for me and so you know it was a really authentic experience of that for me um which is something that i've struggled with in the past and then this practice that you led us on really gave kind of like name to something that i've been working with all year which is that, you know, just opening into this ocean-like mind and letting the things float through. And I realized it for the first time about a week ago. I realized that all of last year, I did not read the news. I did not, people were sending me articles or videos and I was like, not clicking that. Today Mm -hmm. is not about me reading about Trump. I'm not going to see who died and I'm not going to do this. And for a while, I felt really bad about that, you know, that I was like consciously disengaging somehow. But last week I was just, you know, I signed up for the New Yorker and I was reading New Yorker articles for the first time in like a year and feeling the anger and frustration and helplessness and heartbreak that came up 
and just like letting the reading of an article be my practice, just letting it flow and realizing that that's something I couldn't have done in 2020. And just at the end of 2021, after a year of practice of now I have a name for it, of just like floating in care for myself. Now I was finally able to kind of just let it all come up and just float there. And during this practice, there was something almost joyful about it, that the size, the size of the container, the size of the ocean, the bigger that it, that it is, just the more held that feeling felt. So for me, it actually felt, you know, there's this thing that is like angry or frustrated, but it's really strange to say, but it felt like it was surrounded by joy and it actually just felt quite liberating. That was mine. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you yeah. for that. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for your reflections. I'm sure anyone who's listening to this will have a whole other experience. Yeah, There's multiple experiences, you know, and that's what's supposed to happen, right? Because we're we're dealing with all slightly different things. Same emotions, but different circumstances, mm-hmm. and different conditionings, right? And actually what this practice has helped me to understand is that I'm always being cared for. I'm always mm-hmm. surrounded by beings who love me and care for me. And what these practices help me to do is it's, it's a reminder. This is always happening. This doesn't stop because I'm no longer practicing. It just continues. And what we're trying to get to is just the feeling or the experience of always being loved. Mm. You know, And I think that some of us think that eventually these practices are meant to erase or disrupt feelings that are really uncomfortable, like loneliness or... You know, the anger, it doesn't do that. I still experience intense loneliness sometimes, but I don't feel alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't feel abandoned. I feel this continuous support of care and love that actually also helps me to connect to the collective experience. And the collective experience is important, not because we're trying to help the collective, but we're connecting to the, the collective experience because we're trying to understand that we're not alone. And aloneness and isolation actually intensifies, like, you know, really uncomfortable experiences like anger mm-hmm. and brokenheartedness. Mm-hmm. When I say I am the only person experiencing this, no, like you're with countless beings right now in this moment. How does that develop then that understanding in a practice for someone, for someone who has gone mm-hmm. into that and maybe didn't feel a sense of care? Mm-hmm. Are they... Because this is not something you're trying to sort of necessarily create yourself. It's almost like it's more like something you're trying to tune into that's already there. What's your advice for people who can't find it in the moment? And what is the 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 arc of practice around around noticing that and finding it? Well, I think there there are two things to to the first part of your you know question, Jeff. It's you know we have to fake it till we make it. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. of course, that can get out of control, right? But like it's skillful in this moment because most of us just can't automatically connect to love. We have to kind of manufacture it. And this is what these practices are helping us to do is helping us to kind of create something that's already there, but we're creating something that we can tune into. And that creation actually begins to connect us to the actuality of what's happening. You know, so it's like a little portal. Like you're creating a portal that we can get to because we've created it. We've created the conditions and the causes and everything. Once we're really, you know, kind of okay with that, then that portal will naturally connect to the real experience of love around us, right? Mm. And for people who, you know, maybe struggle initially with these practices, I mean, I think that's natural. 
you know, because very few of us have actually been taught authentic love. I will just say for me, like, I didn't really understand what love was until I started practicing in my 20s. I didn't even know how to define love, (laughs) right? You know, and I had to really start studying, okay, what love is, you know, and the only love that I could really connect to was conditional love. Hmm. And I was like, oh, that's what I can name. But what I can't name is unconditional love. And that took a little more time. Mm-hmm. And even imagining what unconditional love might look yeah. like is hard. Yeah. And this is why this practice is hard. Because we're starting with unconditional love, not conditional. So we're like, okay, what is this? What does this feel like? And we're going to distrust it, you know, because it's mm-hmm. like we're comfortable with conditional love. You know, I also understand conditional love to be violence as well. Like, But we're comfortable with that because that's what we know. Hmm. Right. And then when we start actually thinking about and practicing with unconditional love, it's going to feel really unnatural. You know, it's going to feel like we're betraying conditional loving. Oh, that's part of the outrage you feel when you do it because it somehow feels like an offense against conditions. Yeah. And also when you get into unconditional love, what you're doing also is allowing your whole being to unfold. Because in conditional loving, you're not allowed to be expansive. You're only allowed to show up in a particular kind of boundary. But with unconditional love, you're asked to show up completely. And that can be really painful. You know, it's like opening up a closet or a room or a storage unit or something that's been closed for years and years. You open that room and it's like dusty and and moldy and whatever. It can be a whole bunch of stuff. And that's the process. You have to open that space up and let all that stuff air itself out. And what's being aired out is the pain, the trauma, the Mm -hmm. sadness, the fear, the terror, all of that. But as it's being aired out, the love, the care is holding that, you know? Well, this really speaks to the progression of my own practice. It's just been exactly as you describe, you know, you think you've aired something out and then you find this air pocket (laughs) that's like underneath the, you're like, oh, where'd that come from? And all this old feeling is coming through. And can you accept even that? Like, really? Can you accept your own resistances to it? It's like, it's so delicate, the feeling of it. Yeah. And it's like, it's so delicate, but we're in such an overwhelming place right now. Mm. And I know people come into practice, you know, particularly right now, and they're like, how can I possibly do this work now? And I say, well, how can you possibly not? And this is the conundrum. And I know there are a lot of maybe newer practitioners who are coming and to practice, who are listening to this right now. And at some point, you just have to do it. And after a while, you know, you just have to find that bit of courage to step into this practice. And I mean, I I had to develop that for myself. And that that courage came from faith, which is the Mm. faith that this practice works. And I had Mm -hmm. that faith because I saw other people who did the same thing that I was trying to do, and it was really working for them. That gave me a lot of encouragement to do it. And yes, it's really painful. It's really uncomfortable. But at the same time, there's such incredible care and love available that supports you in moving into this work because this is the work that frees us. It frees us. It frees our community. You know, it frees our family. 
as Tasha, you were saying earlier, it's like traditionally these practices are taught with family. Imagine your mom, imagine your brothers and sisters. And that's the most one of the most triggering things for most people. Okay. And so how can I like back back and say, you know what, maybe I don't feel love for my family, but I feel love from God or from Buddha or from whatever, you know, my ancestral or cultural practices or chosen practices are. Like, where's the love at? Go where the love is naturally before we mm-hmm. go to where we don't feel the love naturally. If you can do that, it becomes this opening into really difficult material becomes a lot easier. You know, that natural love yeah. is a lifeline. I can hold on to it as I ascend into the depths of these energies. That experience was a really big catalyst for me because, you know, if if I had came from like a nuclear family and could easily find love in that sense, then for me personally, I wouldn't have gone on that journey to find, you know, the weird places that love and care is hiding yeah. in my life. So even though that was really difficult and I felt, you know, really other than other people around me who found love very easily it was the thing that catalyzed this whole journey for me. So what you're saying really resonates. And I would also too, you know, another really important experience we start having after we've really worked with these practices is that you begin to experience how the world is trying to love you naturally. And specifically, (laughs) you know, naming how people in random situations in the world are loving you. And that's, I, I feel like that's the most, uh, one of the most beautiful yeah. parts of this practice. Like total strangers. Total strangers. Just... Like there, people are loving you in ways that you're not even recognizing for various reasons. But just to be mm-hmm. out in the world and to begin to understand that when someone smiles at you, like that's an expression of love. And I noticed that particularly, you know, in the United States after Trump was elected in 2016, how people were like, we're going to be nice now. <laughs> 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 you know, because people were like terrified. We need this. Yeah, it's like people are like, I don't want to be alone now. Mm. Like, this is intense. Mm. I need to be out in public and know that people are like with me, that we can at least be kind, you know, and That's gentle. That's such a powerful observation because I think, you know, it, it, Jeff and I are both from Canada and it's been really difficult. I mean, we, everybody as a culture, as a people, we all have so much to to kind of work through right now. But it's been especially difficult sitting in Canada and watching what's yeah. going on to the South because we are so intertwined. Yes. Like we're not really different countries, but we are in these weird ways. And there's, you know, there can be this slant sometimes of like, oh, it's it's going down. It's going down in America and everyone's just getting meaner and angrier. So to even just hear that from you, that there was this this kind of like emotional backlash of people coming together and smiling more, you know, Mm -hmm. that's really heartwarming. Well, I think that we are in the depths of wrestling with breaking free from these Mm -hmm. systems of violence. And Mm -hmm. these are like some of the death throes, right, of white supremacy and capitalism. And I see so many people waking up to what's going on. I see young people developing language. Yeah, that's a great thing. But also, on the other hand, you're you're going to have to wrestle with a lot of trauma here. Yeah. And it's not pretty. It's like a really messy situation. Well, it seems very sensible and wise to begin a practice of going in yeah. to feel your anger, your heartbrokenness first by looking for those resources. And mm-hmm. I feel like maybe that mm-hmm. isn't discussed enough. There's a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, kind of quick fix mindfulness out there that's, oh, yeah, go yeah. into feel your anger, feel your thing. But it doesn't 
it doesn't begin, you know, in traditional Buddhism, you know, you take refuge, you call mm -hmm. in yeah. the Dharma, the Buddha, the Sangha, you know, even in smart trauma work, you first connect to your resources. That's the mm -hmm. first principle. Where do you feel mm -hmm. resourced? It may not be mm -hmm. a feeling of warm care pouring in, but it may be a sense of ground like you invited mm -hmm. us into. It may be looking at the nature outside your window. You kind of try to orient to where there's a sense of comfort to, to resource mm -hmm. you in order to then go into that more challenging inquiry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, as you know, I completely believe that we have to go inward to go out. Mm. And the real organizing has to happen within our minds and bodies. Because if we don't do this inner work, then we're just going to be organizing the same chaos that we're trying yeah. to be liberated from, right? People are just organizing are trying to create change from mm. their own inner chaos, from their own anger, from their own trauma. Mm. And that's mm. never going to create experiences of liberation, of spaciousness, mm. of freedom. Can you say a little more about that? I, I mean, I love mm -hmm. that about your book, Love and Rage. There's so much in there for change makers and for activists. And there's a lot of yeah. misunderstandings in the activist world around how they use their anger. And you, you talk a lot about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know... For me, coming through activism, you know, I early on I was organizing and and working from a place of just being really pissed off about the world <laughs> and about the conditions that I was surviving and the conditions my community and ancestors had to survive, and it just became a completely depleting experience, right? And I yeah. began to experience that physical and mental breakdown, you know. And at that point, I met you know initially meditation practice, right? And I began to understand that I can't keep trying to create change from being just angry. I have to create change from a, an experience of spaciousness. That spaciousness for me meant creating change from love. Like I want people to be free. Even the people who create the most violence need to be free. As Tasha, as you know, from a tantric perspective, everything has to be liberated. All phenomena mm -hmm. needs to be liberated. You know, mm -hmm. liberated from my, my perception of what I think it is. So even the people who are creating violence have to be liberated from my assumptions of why they're doing what they're doing. But I know that like we create harm because in our own experience, we're experiencing a lot of discomfort and we don't know how to be in relationship with that discomfort, right? So the most violent people are themselves experiencing really intense experiences of suffering. And that's what changed my activism because people became human. They were no longer these monsters or these demons. There were people who were struggling to get free to be well, but they maybe weren't making the best choices to do so. Hmm. And this is why I, I use this example to just briefly to say that, like, you know, this is going to be a weird thing for me to say, but it's true. I love how Disney in this moment is reimagining their villains. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like they're not people. And these villains are usually like women, but, <laughs> but like it's. It's this effort to say, you know what, people just aren't evil because they're evil. Yeah. They're evil because, well, they've been traumatized or there's been mm -hmm. something that they've not been able to overcome. And that's created the conditions, you know, the conditions where they've created harm for others. And I love that. I think that's what that's so kids huge. have to understand. I always wanted to know the three-dimensional story behind Ursula, yes. the sea witch. Yes. Right? Like, I want to hear that story in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear what's up with her. Yeah, that's true. Like, how did you get here? And you got here because you were in pain. You were hurt. Hmm. Do you find this, this line of reasoning or this mm -hmm. kind of clarity that you've come to is difficult 
for people in the activism community to swallow? Oh, absolutely. Because it forces us to to name our own suffering. Mm. You know, it's that we're suffering. Yeah, yeah, we may think that we know that we're suffering. This is why we're in activism, we're suffering. But not only that, it's when we have this perspective, we're also being called to take care of that hurt. And many people, many activists feel as if they won't have the motivation to do the work if that suffering isn't acute and present. Yeah, okay. So if you get rid of the suffering, am I going to be motivated? And yes. (laughs) Well, you do hear that, that the anger itself is what gives the clarity and the motivation Mm -hmm. and the sharpness and the fuel and the fire. So I can understand why someone would worry that if you took that away, that somehow they'll become passive or indifferent or something. But that's not been your experience. I even hear this in the arts, even, you know, people are like, if you're not angry, if you're not heartbroken, you can't write a good song. Yeah. Let me show you how. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about some stuff. Right. I do like I do what I do because I want people to be free. That's not because I'm angry. It's because I love I, I want people to be safe and happy. And that is a sustainable aspiration. And energy. So what changes when, when this is brought into activist spaces, when there is that space of understanding or acceptance, when the sharp edge of that anger mm-hmm. changes, mm-hmm. what remains? How, how is that a good place to come from to make change? Yeah, here's the thing. Here's another thing. We've built our whole identities around being angry. So mm-hmm. when you shift that narrative, who are you? <laughs> you know, you have to figure out who you are now. And I think that scares a lot of us. It scared me. Like, who am I if I'm not coming from this place of being pissed? You know, and then we have, again, a lot of distrust around love. So when you start talking about love and activist spaces, just like when I did in my 20s, when I started getting into the, this whole love shed, right? You know, <laughs> people were very suspicious. They were just yeah. like, what are you doing? This isn't helping. And then, of course, I would talk about Jesus and, you know, <laughs> you know, but like it's we are so attached to being unwell and we think that being yeah. unwell is somehow solidarity with oppressed people. Mm. Like if I'm if I'm not unwell, if I'm not struggling, how can I be in solidarity? Right. And we so we see wellness and healing as betrayal somehow. Mm. And that's the narrative that we have to disrupt. I don't have to suffer in the same way that you suffer to be in solidarity with you. Yeah. But again, I think it's all about identity. It's like, this is who I am. And if I disrupt this, then who am I becoming? What am I becoming? Of course, we're afraid that we'll stop caring. And and, and rightfully so. Right? Rightfully so. You know, but again, like love binds us. Hmm. to the experiences of all beings. Again, I don't have to suffer in the same way that you're suffering, but when I love you, I'm connected to you. I see that you're not safe. Mm-hmm. And I want to be safe. I want to be free, right? And I know you want that as well. And so my love compels me to work for your safety and freedom. Yeah. What's your relationship to anger now? Well, anger, I'm still pissed. Like that's, you know, anger is still an an experience for me. Absolutely. My practice isn't to get rid of anger. You know, my practice is to have agency over the anger and to allow anger to point me to deeper experiences of hurts. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a compass. Absolutely. And you can't experience anger as a compass if you're habitually reacting to it. 
which is what yeah. most people are doing. Well, most people are habitually reacting to everything that's coming up in their minds. <laughs> and we want to transition to a space of responding. That's when agency arises. When I can say, oh, I see the anger and I feel it. I feel it in my mind. I feel it in my body. What is this anger telling me? What is it pointing me towards? That's, that's the power because anger is telling us that something's wrong with ourselves, with our community, with the world. Like, let anger show you where it's at. Let anger also fuel maybe this initial part of the action, right? But the Mm -hmm. love is what has to arise to sustain it, you know? But in love and rage, I talk about how love holds anger. You know, just like in our practice, care was holding our bodies and our minds and anger and the heartbreak. In the same way, love is this ocean that holds the experience of anger. It, it creates the boundaries around anger so anger doesn't continue to spread like wildfire. Because I use this image of an uncontained wildfire. Like, yeah, we can be in this really skillful relationship with anger, but we have to be very careful because it can easily jump out of our control. Some people say, well, I'm angry at injustice, but anger is this energy that can just spread to being angry at the people that you love as well. Definitely. So if somebody, you know, let's say somebody who's in activism and comes to you and is like, I'm angry and I want to do something about it, but I also want to stop feeling like this and, you know, this whole kind of tornado of feelings, would you have them work primarily with love first and care and finding that in their lives before re-encountering the anger or would it be like a balancing in everyday practice? How would you kind of approach that or like, you know? Kind of step up to it. I would actually work with people around connecting to love first. Again, you need some foundation there. You need to like mm. hold on to something. And when people are coming to me in that state, I understand and I can I can sense that, oh, like you need you need stabilization. You need to be stabilized because mm. that anger is so strong is actually disconnecting you. This is actually a feeling of isolation and anger is that strong. Yeah. So to get connected again to our minds and our bodies, let's get connected to the love and care and work with that. You know, And it's like there's a sense of urgency as well, but this is another conundrum here. It's like you may feel the urgency, but it doesn't mean you should be doing something intense. <laughs> You know, that's hard. Like people want to do really intense stuff when they feel this energy. I've heard it all and I've done some of that myself. But we're in this space where not only are we trying to connect to love and care, but we're also trying to connect to the clarity and the wisdom. Mm. So not only do we need to do something, yes, we need to do something, but we need to do what's appropriate, what gets to the roots. You know, Mm. and sometimes what we want to do is really easy. And that's what anger does. It points us to the easy shit because we want to do it and feel good and justified. Yeah. You know, but the harder work is to say, you know what, maybe how I am identifying and participating in certain systems of violence is actually what I need to be disrupting, you know, Mm -hmm. instead of disrupting traffic, right? Maybe I should actually understand how I'm just participating, you know, Mm -hmm. in capitalism and ableism you know, and racism, you know, and queerphobia and transphobia. That's the real work. There's this line from Shantideva that totally changed things for me. It's just the line that when anger arises, I act like a piece of wood. Like you're basically, (laughs) anger arises and you want to act, but you know, it's like, I'm just 
laying here doing nothing. And I remember reading that and I was like, what? How could this possibly be helpful? And, you know, it just kind of challenged me so much that I was like, all right, well, I'll try it. You know, and just that non-reactivity was the game changer. Yeah. Well, you know, and also it's the the experiencing because that's what transformed my practice with anger early on was like, I experienced it and I was like, oh, this is what it is. You know, and I think when we start experiencing stuff, it's a game changer. This is why experience is the doorway into liberation because experience mm. disrupts our assumptions about something. It disrupts our reactivity. Yeah. Oh, it's so interesting because we have so many ideas about anger, you know. For some of us, there's all these uh, stories around how we should be experiencing more. And then for others, there's all these stories around we need to be experiencing less. Mm-hmm. You know, so to really let ourselves experience whatever actually is here is very hard to do because there's mm-hmm. all this secondary stuff that's there around it. Yeah. It takes a methodical, conscious practice to move through all of this. And that's why I was really grateful to be introduced to my practice, to Buddhism, to my tradition, Tibetan Buddhism, because it was so methodical. It's like, start here, you know, (laughs) (laughs) right? And, you know, my next book, the book that I'm working on now that I'm calling New Saints, is really just this really practical guide for people to have this methodical way of deepening compassion and wisdom, which I just call care and clarity, right? you know, for themselves in order to like actually figure out how to be in the world right now in a way that makes sense. When is your book coming out? It's coming out actually <laughs> 2023. You have to wait a whole year. I know. Well, wait a whole year before we get you on again. Yeah. To do that practice. Yeah. Okay. I have to like actually finish the book. <laughs> you know? But yeah, this is the long game, right? I know people want immediate change, but these aren't immediate issues. Like these are systematic old, ancient issues that we're moving through right now, right? And it takes multi-generations of disruption, right? And so this is why I encourage people, yeah, you do the work, you do what you're called to do, but also you need to be teaching young people. So, you know, all the people who are passing right now, all these really great writers and thinkers and activists and, and leaders, you know, they're passing and they're creating space for those of us, who are ready to step up to mm. continue the work. And I think that's what people are really scared of. They're like, wait, it's my turn. Mm. You know? <laughs> and this is why we have to study the lives of the people that we have been deeply influenced by, because you'll see that they were just like us. They mm. were just thrust into something, you know, mm. and they had to make it work. That's terrifying. It's, it's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> it is. <laughs> You're so inspiring to talk mm-hmm. to. Yeah. I love how you put it in the big picture. And I think this is probably a good place to close our discussion yeah. with that wide open window looking out. Do you want to share anything with our audience, like how they can find you? How they can learn more, practice more? Yeah. You know, best way to get me is through my website, lamara.com. Um, I have several online programs coming up. My next course on love and rage, which is a course that I guide um, taking people through the major themes of the book, through lecture, online gatherings, practice, videos. But you can get more information just by visiting my website and signing up for my email list. We don't really don't send many emails out. Cool. Thank you so much. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for having me. Mm, love hanging out with you, Lamarot. You just jump right in there with exactly what's real right now. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Consciousness Explorers podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like this episode, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. See you next week for a whole new adventure.